Welcome to Lights at the End of the Tunnel, a place where we shine a light on, rant, complain, and try to find solutions about the MGA. After all, we are all in these tin cans together. Welcome back to Lights at the End of the Tunnel. Glad to have you back. Episode 10, recorded August 14th, 2018. This episode is kind of amazing. On this episode, I speak with Blake Morris. Blake Morris wants to be your senator for New York's 17th district. His district includes Borough Park, parts of Sunset Park, Flatbush, Midwood, Mapleton, Kensington, and Sheepheads Bay. As a lifelong Brooklynite, he knows the needs of Brooklyn. Not only does he believe that he can make Brooklyn the best it can be, but all of New York State. While he hasn't held office before, he believes that New York's 17th district needs new and better leadership, and he believes he can provide that. Blake Morris is also an attorney who also worked in the kitchen cabinet with the MTA in the 1980s. The Kitchen Cabinet is a policy group working on policy within the MTA. Blake has insights and answers to questions that you would only know if you were there. And Blake was there. And more importantly, Blake has answers. On Sunday, August 12th, Blake was kind enough to speak with me regarding the MTA. On this episode, we talk about the aversion to communication, and more importantly, why there is such an aversion to communication, accessibility issues. Again, Blake has answers as to why the system is so abysmal when it comes to accessibility. We discuss budgets, and he gives an idea to where our money goes, and we talk about so much more. After my conversation with Blake, I will have a summary of what we learned, also my thoughts on what we learned, plus contact information for Blake and myself. I hope you find this episode to be as enlightening as I did when I sat with Blake on Sunday. You're going to learn a lot from this episode. Please enjoy. Today I'm speaking with Blake Morris. Blake Morris wants to be your senator for New York's 17th district. His district includes Borough Park, parts of Sunset Park, Flatbush, Midwood, Mapleton, and Kensington, and Sheepheads Bay. As a lifelong Brooklynite, he notes the needs of Brooklyn. Not only does he believe he can help make Brooklyn the best it can be, but all of New York State. While he hasn't held office before, he believes that New York's 17th District needs better and new leadership, and he believes he can provide that. Thank you for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm I'm very excited to be here. Okay, one of the things New Yorkers can agree on is that the MTA is pretty craptastic. It needs to be talked about, hence the podcast. It needs to be said out loud that we can be heard and worked on. Before we speak specifically about your plan and ideas and how you'd like to help New York City with their transit woes, I have a few specific questions regarding specific issues. Have you read Andy Byford's plan, Fast Forward? Yes, I have. And what are your thoughts on it? My thoughts are that it's a very effective plan to reform the system. When I um, was in law school, at Brooklyn Law School, I was part of the Kitchen Cabinet, which is an informal policy group um, of the Transit Authority with with the then-president, David Gunn. And I spent years in the Kitchen Cabinet talking about policy with the Transit Authority. So, and we had, and the Transit Authority um, actually can come up with great policies. The 
the main problem with our buses and subways is that we lack adequate funding for our policies and programs for rapid transit. So for Andy's, so for Andy Byford's plan to work, we're going to need to fund it. That's true, and he's having trouble finding people to agree with all parts of the plan, and that's unfortunate. Yes. So, um, a prior podcast was about the emotional costs of the MTA, stressors, triggers, etc. It struck a nerve with some people. However, the L train shutdown will ultimately impact most lines coming out of Brooklyn, and that is very stressful to people on both sides of the river at this point. How would you like to see the L train shutdown go down? Well, I, you know, it's very. I'm glad you asked me that question because I got a little bit. Um, I fumbled um, that response just now. That's okay. But that's a very good. That's a you very can good. For it. That's a very good. It's a very. You can clarify if you want. It's that's fine. a very good question because I don't think that the transit authority or the city, and I don't know where to put the blame has really been educating the public. That's a question I actually want to talk about. I want to talk I also want to bring up the fact that the MTA has such an aversion to communication, not only internally but externally. So no one knows what's happening at, at any moment of the day. And every that's one of the reasons why the city is so angry all the time because we have no idea what's happening. So, you know, when things break down, no one knows about it. It's like a couple weeks ago when, you know, there was that issue with the N train going on the local line and no one knew about it and it created an epic bottleneck between the DNR and DNR lines so it's just like they have this amazing aversion to communication which is another reason why the L train shut down Sandy happened six years ago about five years ago they decided to shut down the tunnel and they've had years to come up with a plan and the best they can come up with is buses yes well this so because I have a lot of experience I have decades of experience of working with the transit authority, I understand, not that I understand, I am knowledgeable of why they have these difficulties of, in, of communication with the public. Are you interested to know why the transit authority? Yeah, why don't they want to talk to us? Because if they don't talk to us, it, it just makes us mad. And if we're mad, we can't, if you see their Twitter page, everyone's full of rage. And it's just like, that bothers me because you're scaling into the void and they don't want to talk to you. It's, but if you told us what was happening, we, their Twitter page would be so less heinous. You know? Exa- it totally would. Exactly. So for transit's um, main issue, what their concern is, because they're so large and because they need to approve every level, at every level of bureaucracy, they need to approve the communication that would go to the public. Communication is free, though. I'd like to point out that in Andy Byford's plan, they keep talking about communication, but as I like to remind everybody, communication is free. And if you just say what's happening, people would be so much happier. Even if it's something you don't want to admit, even if it's your fault, we'd appreciate that far more because then we can make a plan. But so the Transit Authority's point of view uh, which I which I do not agree with, but I'll be, but I'll be happy to share some insight of why there is this. Dec- it's it's you know it's it it's been a conflict for decades where the transit authority knows one thing, and the public doesn't know anything or might know something else completely completely different. Is so because 
when inter- when things happen within the system and that communication um, is going up the bureaucratic system, so many different people need to approve that communication. By the time that communication can get to operations to discl- to actually disclose it to the public, tra- the transit authorities' paranoid concern is that they're giving you old information. So they actually decide as a public policy not to give you the information because between not knowing what's happening and getting stale information, they'd rather have you ignorant than to receive stale information and they won't fix it. They won't figure out a program to give you current information. Stale information based on like an hour is still better than no information at all because they're because no one knew what was happening the the booth attendants didn't know what was happening apparently the motormen didn't know what was happening Correct. because of a typo on a memo so hours later it, it, they basically sent out a, a a press release saying yeah we're sorry about it won't happen again it's like but we know it'll happen again and it just becomes this thing where it's like if we knew just a little bit of information we can make our alternative plans and we'll be less mad at you so even if it's incorrect late information that's not part and parcel to what's happening at this very second that's still better than no information that's exactly how i feel but that is not how the transit authority operates well they need to operate that way (laughs) because i'm serious that's one of the reasons why new yorkers are so mad at them because they, they refuse to do it and it's just like dude we'd be less mad at you and again your twitter feed would be so less heinous and people cursing and people being angry and people being able to go, okay, so right now, or at least an hour ago, this signal wasn't working and all these trains are backed up. So if these trains are backed up and there's a delay over here, it means maybe I could take this bus to get to this line. That'll give me 15 minutes, extra minutes, whatever. At least I've got that 15 minutes as opposed to an hour or two hour delays because they don't have the information. I, I understand how they want to give correct information at that second, but the problem with that is you're not helping anybody by remaining silent. You're not being arrested. You don't have a right to remain silent anymore because five million people ride the subway. And five million people, and, one, and once one line goes down, it's like a butterfly flaps its wings in Japan and there's a hurricane on the East Coast. It affects everything. Yes, it does. So everybody is affected. They don't have a right to remain silent anymore. I don't think so either. Uh, And it's going to take a lot of persuasion. It's going to take, and it can't come, and the persuasion can't come from the public up because the transit authority is part of the MTA. It's a state public authority. The governor appoints most of the board members. The mayor appoints the... That's, That's another problem I have with the board. It's like when one administration goes away... I know there's carryover from some other administrations, but then they go away. And then a fresh new group of people come in who are political appointees, essentially. Yes. So they're looking out for the best interest of the governor or the mayor. Yes. And the problem with that is they're not looking into our best interest. They're looking into the politician's best interest. And therefore, we have 80-year-old signals and 100-year-old tunnels with 40-year-old trains. And it's like they end up doing things like the like the lights on the bridges, 
and the you know the fancy tile work on new train stations on all exterior work but the signals are ignored the the tracks are ignored the tunnels are ignored so it all looks pretty on the outside it looks great to tourists but what about when they get stuck in a tunnel for 40 minutes because there's no announcement exactly so we're where you can get relief is in the state legislature because the governor, whoever that governor is, is only one person. And they're the person who's going to pick the MTA board. So unless we have a new radical way of operating the MTA, um, the, only, the only check and balance mm -hmm. is really through the state legislature. And one of the reasons I'm running for state senate is to provide that check and balance. Because right now, uh, the state Senate is controlled by Republicans. And for the most part, Republicans are not losing sleep over how the MTA is run and, no. how, and, and how they're funded. No, they don't. So we need Democratic control of the state Senate so that we can actually imp increase. And there are two, I mean, actually, the, MT the MTA and the Transit Authority has many different budgets, but they fall into two general categories. One's an operations budget and one's a capital budget. Mm -hmm. And so we need a major increase in the operational budget, and we also need increased spending on the capital budget. And both and both are doable. So going back to the L train for a second, how, aside from the severe lack of communication yes. And, yes. and the hundreds of buses that they intend to go down that bridge every morning, and through the village that isn't equipped to handle all that traffic to 14th Street. What would have been your plan for that? Would you have planned all those buses to go down that bridge? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't because if you knew how many, because it's just, it comes down to actually rapid transit comes down to math. And once you know how many passengers are actually sitting and are standees, on a rush hour subway car, and when you know what bus capacities are, even it, even for the articulated buses, and if you know how long it takes to load and unload a bus, you would realize that transferring rush hour subway passengers to to um, to buses, no matter how long they are, is not going is not going is, is not a solution that's going to work so what they could do which was a possibility which was which is a possibility which they did not do is and knowing that they had years to plan for this i know that's what kills me it's like hurricane sandy happened six years ago five years ago they like, did their little structural study and was like well we have to rehab this tunnel and in those intervening years a bunch of buses is their best plan. So, right. So the solution would have been streetcars. That's what I've been saying. It's like one of my ideas, and people hate it, is the fact there's going to come a time where you have to shut down entire tunnels. They're just going to come a time when that has to happen because the tunnels are old and they haven't been rehabbed at all. Yes. And it's like my plan is get a bunch of Ubers, Lyfts, cabs, whatever, give them discounts paid by the city and do ride shares. And I was talking to another friend. He was like, yeah, do like Bolt buses and Hampton Jitneys and all those things. Ride shares, encourage biking if you can. And make it a workaround. Because they're, it's just it's impossible with buses because they're big and they're slow. 
and you need to work do a workaround and they you can't tell me in the four or five years that this has been going on that that's the best plan that they came up with right if they operated a streetcar system you can actually because you can actually load streetcars faster than you can load buses they could um, they run very efficiently it would not take a lot of expense to actually put streetcar track um, down on the bridge and, and across 14th Street. Well, that's where the Dodgers came from, the name for the Dodgers. Exactly. Charlie Dodgers. So it's like, we. I think streetcars would actually be a pretty good idea in certain neighborhoods. and But they would never do that because they, it would never, people wouldn't like it, I don't think. I think but, they would like it, it over. It, I think they would like it over a lot of diesel electric yeah. buses. But but it, the part but that would also cost money to lay the track, and you know how the MTA is with improvements and money, so it's just like they. I don't think they would approve it. It's a good idea. I like it, but just because it's likable to people who actually use it doesn't mean the people who never use it but get free MTA cards will go for it. And then the other solution. If they didn't want to do streetcars, which I would think is the, is the, really the preferred solution, would would be to actually put in an electric bus line. And actually, Andy Byford would know all about electric buses because they use them a lot in Toronto. So that's another way because electric buses are much faster. They're actually um, they are they're speedier and um, and you can actually you can load them differently than you can load diesel buses. So that's another solution, and that would also cut down on pollution as well. Yeah. And then even another solution would be really because we do have um, a population and a culture that's now changing where people are a lot more comfortable about cycling. Yeah, and we should encourage that. And you really, And what they really could do is really put in a bicycle expressway with a really dedicated route. And so bicycles are, and cycling... I think is an amazing solution. Doesn't solve everyone's commuting um, issues, and doesn't. And there's issues about rain and snow, and inclement, inclement and cold weather. But again, you certainly with a mix of a streetcar system or an electric bus system and a robust use of bicycles, you actually could tackle this problem. And it's something that even after when the L train reconstruction project was over. You actually would be able to maybe maintain a good portion of your alternative transportation system. Well, I think it's smart because if people get used to streetcars, they could people would probably enjoy them more, and they seem like an easier, a better, more user friendly kind of thing. And and also they're very popular at West. So even in Republican controlled states. Um, you're asking why is politics involved with this? Because politics uh, is involved in this. The yeah, MTA is one big political machine. Exactly. Thank you for. I said uh, th- it. I said you. it out loud. <laughs> I don't care. It's true. It's a political machine. So what happens is, even in in Republican areas, there are a lot of cities out west and in the mountain states, and they actually have in, actually have um, installed new streetcar lines well phoenix installed light rails i lived out there and in denver yeah and in salt lake and they and in portland and seattle i mean this is a thing and phoenix was a big car city and when i lived out there i didn't have a car so i had to rely on the buses they were starting to um lay track when i left in 2006 and from what i understand the 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 speed light rail is very popular out there extremely and it's just it works and it's functional 
and a lot of people out there didn't think it would work and it does so it's like there are better alternatives to what we have it's just that a lot of people are scared of it which i'm not which i'm not quite sure why and you know the mayor proposed a waterfront streetcar line um i didn't like the way he went about the planning of that and the way he rolled that out to the public and he scared a lot of people who would actually be uh, natural supporters of, of the plan. And I don't know where that plan is today. It's probably close to dead, I would think. Probably, because when was the last time you heard about it? It's been quite, it's been quite some time. Yeah, so that, that's just good ideas have a tendency to get run over. If you don't sell them properly in the right way, they'll just die on the vine. Yes. So let's talk accessibility. Our disabled citizens aren't being accommodated. Currently, 22% of subway stations have elevators. Across all rail lines, it's 40% accessible. While Byford's plan calls for 70 more elevators, it still leaves more than half stations without. Accessoride picks up some of the slack, but not enough. How would you like to address that? Well, let's go back to the 80s. So this is very, very sad. And Ed Koch, everyone has all this love for Ed Koch, but Ed Koch is wandering around going, I don't care, I don't want elevators because they cost too much and no one wants them. That's exactly true. And so let's go back to the 80s, back to that kitchen cabinet that I used to sit in with the president, David Gunn. And that we discussed policy that we had, that the Transit Authority had adopted a radical concept that we would have the entire system handicapped accessible by the year 2000 and and it was a a, a radical concept advocates for the handicapped said we can't wait that long because remember we're talking about 1984 1985 and there was a massive lawsuit in 86 that we had that we had these meetings and that we were talking about this the 2000 plan of complete accessibility and I actually thought that the Transit Authority um, had adopted something that could be done. And by the time 2000 came, which I thought was way too long at the time, we would no longer have this issue of having the lack of handicapped accessibility. And here we are now in 2018, and we've actually made extremely extremely little progress of having this system accessible. There's 118 elevators out of 472. Exactly. And I did a, an interview with Monica Bartley from CIDNY, and I just asked her, what are the elevators like? And they're in shocking condition when they're working, and they're not always working. And they're in shocking condition. It's like feces and urine and trash in there, and it's just like, how hard is it to go in there and just sanitize an elevator once a day? It would not how, be hard. How, so, how that's hard op- so that's operation. So uh, my suggestion would be that we need we need we we need a commitment. And actually, it's funny because we had the accessoride program was just starting mm-hmm. in the early '80s, and that was cons- that was always considered a temporary program. And it's not very good. And, it- no, because, and that's one of the reasons. And we knew it was not very good, but that was considered the gap plan between 1985 and 2000 that we'd have this gap and that basically as every year went by we would have we we would actually use less and less of excess arrive but actually just the opposite is happening it is so i think we can maybe rethink handicapped accessibility 
uh, one by we should still focus in on major stations of having elevators, but we also think about putting in ramps. Yes, it's like that. It's like whenever these stations are being redone, like Smith and Ninth was closed down for two years, no elevator, which is Th the highest station in the system. Thirtieth yeah. Ave and Thirty Sixth Ave in Queens redone, no elevator. Prospect Park, Fifty Third Street. Bay Ridge Ave were all closed at the same time and no elevator. And people are like, well, elevators are expensive. There's an elevator coming to Bay Ridge to um, 86th Street, going to cost $17.9 million. And I've always said, whenever anyone goes, cost, 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 I'm like, put in a ramp. Just put in a ramp. Ramps are, are easier in some ways right. and cheaper. And it's and a lot less maintenance. And a lot less maintenance. <laughs> a lot less maintenance. And it's just like, just putting in a ramp. And elevators are for everybody. And ramps would be for everybody too. Parents with strollers, elderly people, pe delivery guys. We see them on the train all the time. We're doing short stops. And it's just like, all these things would be helpful to every About, single person. Exactly. So delivery people, that was an issue. So that was one of the issues we dealt with in, back in the 80s was that um, the that people were that that the mid-level management within transit was concerned that if you made stations handicapped accessible you would have laborers and small businesses or even larger businesses using the subway system to make deliveries and there wouldn't be the police power to so basically they would have like small freight shipments being used because people would use hand carts and and um and and troll and and um commercial trolleys to move freight around and they were just petrified about that but people do that anyway and so, so people do that anyway and, and and the difference between rolled someone rolling their luggage and some small merchant having um a box on, on a small hand truck being rolled there's not really much of a difference and that was a major policy issue that we actually I mean, stopped we actually no longer prohibited people moving small freight packages um through 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 the system and 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 ask the police and at that time transit police uh, to just watch out if people abused their rolling freight privileges but there's a lot of dissonance regarding making the system accessible and one of the one of the communication you're back to communications again is that uh the public hasn't really tackled a lot of the institutional resistance to make the system handicapped accessible. One, there's a cost issue, but two, there's actually a use issue. There's a lot of people within the transit authority that don't want the system to be accessible to either wheeled, um, either to wheel ch to to chairs that are wheeled as compared to freight that is wheel wheeled. Because they say that once you allow um, a system that's handicapped accessible, how would you stop? Um, people from moving freight within within the system. Well, it's not like people can bring pallets down there. You can't. Yeah. It's like you can't fit pallets on the train anyway. So it's just like so. What if someone has a small hand truck with a handful? But they already do anyway. And just, you know, you see a bunch of people, a bunch of delivery people with like food for meetings for large corporations. You see that stuff. So if it's a small hand truck with small things, who cares? They're just getting from point A to point B. They're still paying a fare. So if you and also, it's a. Tr and it's also if if they didn't do that, they'd be either in a car for hire, or they'd be in some type of small truck. The fact of the matter is, it's just like it. 
our disabled citizens have to go so far out of their way to get anywhere and it takes an emotional toll not only does it take a physical toll but an emotional toll i spoke with adam Baumel, who drives one of the few accessible ubers in the city and he was talking about it he's just like i pick up so much slack and it's like the way they're treated sometimes by regular cab drivers who don't understand how to lock their their chairs in so they don't hurt themselves or whatever they treat them like invalids and it's who cares, but a lot of these people have to go to work. And they want to enjoy their lives and enjoy what the city has to offer. But they can't. And that's and that makes me angry. It's just like, why deny them that just because you're not comfortable with it? Who cares if you're not comfortable with it? They're people and everybody matters. And everybody should be able to enjoy the city. And you're just making it hard for no apparent reason. Just because you're not comfortable with it. Well, who cares? Right. You have the power, even though you do have the power, and you and you don't and you just don't want it to happen because you're afraid of something. Exactly. I mean, it was during that time in the kitchen cabinet where we actually allowed um, bicycles to be used in the subway during non-rush hours. Up until the mid '80s, it was actually officially against the law to actually have a bicycle on the subway at any time of day or night. Well, well, that doesn't seem right either because it rains. You, know, you see yes. you see bikes a lot when it rains when it's like really seriously raining. So you see bikes a lot. You have you don't mind that because it's just like it's raining. Okay. And, I I'm, surpri- I and I'm surprised you don't see more cyclists um, using um, the subway. I think because people because it's not because it, it's not encouraged. You don't see any signs or hear any announcements to encourage people to actually bring their bicycles into the subway system. I I think it's just like if it's small and compact, it won't cause a problem. Okay. I mean, so what? It's it's helpful. It'll be useful. And that's another reason why people don't like taking the train, other than the fact that it's there's a myriad of problems and they're losing you know, customers because they're not being effective or helpful. So let's talk about we talked about communication between the writers and the MTA. What would you like to address the lack of proper communication between the governor and the mayor? Oh, well, I just a, like to ask this question. Oh, that's no, that's a really good question. <laughs> so a lot of the, so a lot. You know where I put the blame? You're going to be surprised where I put this blame. Go ahead. I Try put me. I put the blame on news organizations. Okay. That's where I put the blame because what happens is the public does not understand. And they lack a lot of information about who is responsible for which things in their lives. About which, is it state government? Is it city government? What's the but mix? They, but they purposely make it confusing because they don't, oh, really, they do. because they don't, they don't really want to take responsibility for it. Exactly. And the problem is they're sniping at each other because they take advantage of the fact that nobody knows who's really in charge of what based on what they're told because they're told nothing. Exactly. So therefore, no, I agree with you. So therefore, they're sniping at each other over inside information that we don't have. Right. Well, some people do have it. and Well, no one... We don't have it. Those of us uh, who are riding the trains don't have no, it. No. And so there are a lot... And so what happens is because there's a lack of information and nature abhors a vacuum, the mayor and the governor... Um, have a race to the bottom where they take advantage of the public's ignorance. And that is unfortunate. So their their sin, the mayor and the governor's sin, is not is that they're both willing to play the public. 
And that and that is not right. No. And no one should be allowed to play the public. And so I so I really have a lot of disrespect for both the mayor and the governor for on this issue because they're not really doing the public's work. They're not doing the work of the people here. That's and true. and and then them um shooting at each other, you know, their verbal shots at each other is actually not serving the needs of the public and what's really ironic it's not accomplishing anything and it's it's not accomplishing anything but what's truly ironic it actually demeans both of them in the process it makes them both look like children exactly it just both makes them look like teenagers or kids in the back of a car on family vacation going he's he's looking at me He's looking uh, yeah. at me. He won't stop looking at me. That's what it's come down and to. Meanwhile, our, meanwhile, our work is not getting done. And, and the news organizations, um, they just follow the shiny object yeah. and, just follow, and just follow the insults without following the actual government programs and the nuances that are involved. Okay. What will you do to make sure those in Albany use allocated MTA funds honestly and usefully and not divert it to other projects? This is a very that question requires an understanding of a process. So what happens is that because of the of operation budgets and capital budgets, the state legislature to show that they're not spending as much money as they really are spending, um, they actually transfer money out of the MTA budget to other resources. And what they do is they have the MTA go into the capital markets and borrow money, which is bonds basically, so MTA bonds, and to borrow money against the fare box. And those are called revenue bonds. But what they do is, because the state legislature is shortchanging the MTA for operational funds, they then take the capital money and they play games with it, and they take that capital money and they use it for operational purposes. Hmm. And this is a thing that goes on. That's why everyone gets so confused about it. It's very, it's very confusing. It's like a shell game. It is a shell game. So, so money just gets moved. Based on, based on who has what better idea that they could just throw out there, and it gets moved, and we don't know it until it's moved, and the and, and then it's too late, and then it's too late, and you can't take it out of that other wherever it went because it's allocated there. It's already allocated. The bonds have already been issued, or the money's already been spent. So the solution really is oh my god i oh my god i'm learning so much today (laughs) i'm so glad i'm talking to you this is this is making me so mad right now but i'm glad you're telling me it can be very infuriating oh my god i'm so so the so the solution is that we need a better state legend so there's two solutions fix it thank you we need a better blake in your thank you we need a better state legislature and it's a shout out to the state controller as well so, so this is also a state controller issue that he allows this level of transfer of funds from capital budgets 
to operational budgets. And people do not talk about the state controller enough. They don't. Do you think Scott Stringer could talk to him? No. Well, well, Scott Stringer is the city controller. I know, but could you uh, think they could just he could just go up there and be like, "Dude." Well, you could maybe listen, you could ask Scott. You could ask Scott to talk if, to Tom Napoli. Maybe, maybe if Scott Scott Stringer talked to me, I would. Did you read his his uh, his report on like how the MTA shortchanges um, off peak and third shift workers? Because that's a good one. So yeah, I want to talk to him about that. But yeah, but yes. yeah, but that's. Oh my God, Blake! I had no idea, but you, I now know. <laughs> okay. Um, speaking of money again, let's talk fair fares, which is a great initiative. Do you think it does enough to help our lower-income citizens who make this city run? And also, do you think it's appropriate to raise fares next year when transit is so poor? Well, I'm going to take the last question first and work backwards. Okay. So raising the fare, we have lost control over the fare box because we because of the state legislature so mm-hmm. exactly what i was at saying before because the capital budget is being um, pilfered for the for operations and because those bonds are based on the fare box the interest on the bonds has to be paid somehow mm-hmm. so that dynamic basically makes fare box makes fare increases inevitable it's like holding back the tide so when people say i don't want a fare increase right i don't want that fare increase it it's like saying i don't want high tide because those bonds are coming to the bonds are amortized which is the cost of principal and interest and the system is always borrowing more money because the state legislature is not funding it appropriately so that that fare box has no choice. The fares have no choice but to be increased because the bonds have to get paid. But it's so expensive now. Yes. I mean, it's like when right now it's one hundred and twenty-one dollars for and, thirty days, and when that money goes away from my bank account, it hurts me. Exactly. I feel that. And people time. need to and people need to ask their state assembly people and their state senators or the or the challengers or the candidates for state assembly and, and state senate. And the governor, and the go- and 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 candidates for the governor, about are you going to increase operational spending to for to to the MTA and the Transit Authority, and to offset the inc- increased amortized costs of the bonds? It's a very it's a, it is straightforward math. I, I said before that rapid transit has is almost all math. Right. And this is just pure math. So it's not about who it hurts or do you want it or not. It's math. The bonds must get paid. And the only way right now they get paid is by raising the fare. Well, let me ask you this. Do fares go to any kind of structural improvements or just going off to pay off the bonds? They go off to pay off the bonds. So it's so my $121 a month isn't going to like fix signals and switches. It's going to pay oh, off. Oh, no. You're, you're fit. You, some, I mean, depending on, because I told you there are many budgets that, that, are, right. that fall into two general categories. One's operations, one's capital. Right. S- the, without looking more carefully at the operational budgets, some of that fair money may go to actual operations. Okay. And not, and not, to, pay, and not to pay the bonds. Okay. All right. So there okay. might, there, there so might like be portions. So it's like but percentages. Okay. But none of the fair money would act would ever 
go to pay for capital equipment okay. or capital repair. So basically, like trap, like so, so the signals. Right. So your fair revenue, so your fair revenue would never pay to repair a signal. Like your fair revenue would never pay to buy a, a new subway car. Like your fair revenue, the, like when, when you buy a metro card, you are not buying a turnstile. You might be buying a, a maybe a mop. You might be buying cleaning solution. For when they clean the trains every eight to ten weeks? Exactly. Something like that, yes. Which they do. They clean, it was in the Times. They clean the interiors of the train every eight to ten weeks. Just putting that out there. Oh. In case you didn't read that, it's gross. No, I didn't, I didn't read that. I, yeah, I don't know. it's gross. I thought, they, I thought I think they sweep them. You know, when they come into they, the end what, station, they, they, they do do a... They do a spot clean. A light sweeping. If, like, if someone throws up, they spot clean Yes, it. I think a light sweeping. Yeah, but they, they don't do a serious... No, they don't do a serious... Hard clean for every eight to ten weeks. Just putting that out there because it's gross. So, um, let's talk about Penn Station for one second. It's a very important station in the city. So many people come in through there, through Amtrak, LIRR, um, New Jersey Transit. It's kind of the seventh circle of hell at this moment. Yes. What are your thoughts on the current state of Penn Station, and what are your suggestions for improvement? Well, we have the, Moyn- we have the Moynihan Project that's actually moving ahead. Um, there's contributions from the national government, from Amtrak. Um, I don't know if NJ Transit is contributing, but the MTA is contributing in New York State is contributing to that so so eventually penn station will be moved over to the new station the old post office building right right uh to the old post office building so that's so that's that's in it, interim, that's in the works but in the interim i think in the interim you're gonna be su- you know, i think you're gonna have to suffer unfortunately because i don't know There's what con- it's so it's so horrendous there though leaking and it's dark and it's low and there's no windows and it's just sad it, it, it's like it, a communist movie it's just, it, 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 it's, it is it is very sad very eastern block it is very sad i mean i think i think there that there's no reason that the state could not do some type of program to actually um make it into a cheerier more pleasant environment um i think there there are ways to do that on a, on a very low budget okay so I think so. I don't think they should just leave it to neglect. I think I think there's I think you could do something, but know that that only be a short term a short term plan because there's a major a major transfer about to happen. Okay. So what is your plan to help? What specifically do you want to do? And have you done any cost estimations to what your plan would be? For which project? For the system, your ideas. Oh, so one of the things I would like to do is. I would like to have the MTA impose a gasoline tax. The MTA is over a 12-county, has jurisdiction over 12 counties of rapid transit. It serves 15.3 million people. Right. And so so what happens is um, we could actually, the MTA could actually get a lot more money if they actually assess the gas tax on a pro rata basis based on how much rapid transit service is being provided in the county. Because some of these 12 counties have very limited rapid transit service, so they would have a small gas fee so uh, so a, so a gas tax would one raise lots of revenue f- to the MTA sure. two it would encourage people to um, tr- to drive less but more importantly to transfer from gasoline driven engines to more alter- alternative fuel sure. 
cars. That's true. Because we wouldn't be taxing the alternative fuel cars. So that would be a very good incentive in the metropolitan area for people to drive cleaner cars. True. Um, so that would and that would be and that would be a, um, and that would be a, a good thing. And what we also want to do is um, have, if possible, to have a metro card be used in the commuter railroads and also the, and also in the transit in, in the subway system itself. So we have a more of a seamless system because right now we operate these separate systems. So you need if you're on Metro North or the Long Island Railroad, you um, and you're transferring to the subway, you need you need separate cards to operate to travel in each system. So sure. to have something where um, you can have like a universal card and be able to move around the entire system. That would be helpful to our LIRR riders. Yes, and also it's much faster too. When I go to Queens from Brooklyn, I don't take the subway. I actually, I go by Long Island Railroad. It's much faster. It takes an hour from Flatbush, actually more than an hour from Flatbush to go out to Jamaica by subway, but I can reduce that trip down to 30 minutes if I take the Long Island Railroad. That's true. That is true. So, so you, and, and if, and it's a reverse commute, because I'm traveling out to Jamaica to go to court or something like that, that train is basically empty because it's actually, because they're wearing those trains to bring people into Brooklyn and into Manhattan during the morning rush. So you certainly want to encourage people to be using, um, the commuter railroads, um, in the reverse of the rush hours. That's true. You also mentioned on your plan on the website about the Triborough plan to make it easier to move between Queens, Brooklyn, and the Bronx. Yeah, exactly. So we, you know, we're still living in in the, you know, it's it's ironic. Most people don't know. I mean, younger people don't know about Robert Moses. Older people have some issues about Robert Moses. I'm reading a book called The Routes Not Taken by Joseph Raskin, and it's basically explaining all the routes that were considered that never happened. But here's the thing about Robert Moses. Robert Moses, unlike every iteration of the MTA, secured the bag, so to speak. He had a plan, he had backing, and he had the money. So when he went to do his thing, it was just like, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to become a car city. And the Northeast Businessmen's Association, somebody said about the Bell Parkway, it's a highway from nowhere to nowhere. So Robert Moses went in there and steamrolled everything. Because he had the wherewithal and the plan and just had the money ready to go. And he was just like, here we go. This is what we're going to do. And he took all attention and sucked all the air out of rapid transit. Yes, he did. And actually, and as, and basically, um, we stopped, we actually stopped financing rapid transit in the mid-1950s. We did because, they, because, again, Robert Moses assumed that we would become like a car city. We would, we would rely more on modern technology. And he wasn't interested in the subway because it was old. He was more interested in what's happening above ground than what's happening below ground. And decades of deferred maintenance because that's what his department wanted to do. So that's when all the real serious deferred maintenance took place. And then by the 70s, it was all like falling apart. And then Ravitch, in his wisdom, was just like in the late 70s, early 80s, like, we can't do this because if the subway dies, New York dies. So we had to find a way to make it better. The problem is it was so far gone and fighting and money and lock bo- or lack of lockboxes and things that you mentioned happened. And it, it, the shell game, so to speak, is just like, and here we are. Exactly. So one of the solutions we can do 
is we have a Bay Ridge Freight line, which is used once a night um, for freight service, which is a very critical part of New York City, infra actually the, the metropolitan infrastructure. And that Bay Ridge Freight line runs from the harbor through Sunset Park, Borough Park, and Midwood all the way to the Sunnyside Yards. And it runs an open cut, and there's plenty of space in this open cut that we can actually put extra um, lot, extra tracks down there, and we could actually make it a bike expressway, mm -hmm. and we could also make it a streetcar line. Back to the streetcars again. Back, you know, back to the future. We could do some streetcars down there, and we're just fortunate that the Bay Ridge Freight Line bisects all the subway lines in Brooklyn. Very near, if very near, if not directly underneath, the um, existing stations. So we can actually have transfer points. So right now in Brooklyn, we operate a hub and spoke system of subway service. Mm -hmm. We can actually um, convert the hub and spoke system very easily into a network, and we can open up large areas of Brooklyn that are now underserved, and that can be available for affordable housing, for housing expansion for getting to queens everyone's always, when you're in brooklyn you're it's always a challenge to get to queens especially and, south brooklyn <laughs> yes and we can do something similar on the hell on the hell's gate bridge in the sunny side yards where we can actually operate streetcar service from long island city across the hell's gate bridge and we can connect queens and the bronx directly mm -hmm. so that those people can actually be able to travel back and forth and we also have the issue of Staten Island and Brooklyn. Staten Island's a mess. I, 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 my last podcast was actually speaking to a commuter from Staten Island. and It must have been a sad story. It was sad. <laughs> he moved to Jersey because he couldn't deal with the, um, all the mess of the commutes anymore. But what's interesting about the book is, you know that one spot of light on the R line between Bay Ridge Ave and 59th Street? Mm -hmm. That was supposed to be a trunk line going out to Staten Island. And there was, and then they were going to bring a train in from Staten Island, and it was supposed to terminate at 59th Street. That's why that's there. Right. But they ran out of funding for it. And then there was another plan that they couldn't get funding for, which was uh, a path under the Narrows that was to terminate at 95th Street. So there were all these plans, and then Robert Moses got in there and was like, we'll build you a bridge. It's like, we don't want a bridge, we want a subway. Well, we're building you a bridge. We don't want a bridge. We want a subway. Here's your bridge. You're welcome. And it costs seventeen dollars to go over that sucker. Right. So and I live right by it, but you don't go over it because it's seventeen dollars. Right. And you can't and um and you can't walk across it. Nope. And you can't bike across it. Nope. So what so what we could do is probably the easiest the easiest solution is to operate either either an electric bus line. Or a streetcar line across the Verrazano Bridge. That's and, a good idea. And connect that to the ninety fifth the ninety fifth Street station on the R line. I like that. Idea. And then we also connect it to the Staten Island Railroad. And what we also can do is there's a West Shore Railroad, which is basically inoperable at this point. So one of the things that we could do is actually um, basically double the amount of rail service on Staten Island by actually reactivating the West Shore railroad line. And that would be and that would be incredible so that you actually could take streetcar service, electric bus service across the Verrazano Bridge, connect to the Staten Island Railroad, and then go to the west side on the Arthur Hill of Staten Island and, and go down the west side of the island. Again, there too, opening up a lot of areas for 
um, housing and residential development because one of the issues that's holding back New York City for the middle class is that there's not space for people to live. True. So we need we need we need the ability to build more housing. That's true. In our remaining time, is there anything in closing you'd like to say about your district, the city, and not just the MTA? Yes. So my so the 17th, 17th Senate district is diverse, it's multicultural. It's a really it's really a very interesting place. Uh, and I and we and we've really been underserved um, in the past by the um, by the city and the state, and so and basically the our neighborhoods, our micro neighborhoods, the communities, they basically um, have done a lot of work by themselves and have have made this a wonderful place to live. We do need some help. The does need to be some type of plan and and I think that the city and state could do a lot more in the coordination and working together so that people can get the things they want people want a place to live they need um, they need a quality education they need a job that they can that, that they can live on um, they need a roof over their head and they need health care sure. and, and I think and I think this these are things that excite me, and these are the reasons why I'm running for state senate. Yeah, well, great. These are all you. You helped us learn so much today. I thank you for your time, and I wish you a lot of luck. Oh, thank you very much. You're welcome. Have a, thank you. So, what did we learn today from Blake? Ooh, doggies! We learned a lot. Blake dropped some serious knowledge on us. So much knowledge, you have to pronounce the K at the beginning. Blake gave us so much knowledge, it's amazing. We learned a lot of issues and problems are deliberate and on purpose. We, we learned that what we consider the Keystone Cops types of shenanigans is an actual process within the MTA. Who knew? The lack of communication is by design. Not only is the MTA this massive behemoth of a bureaucracy where any communication must be approved... But the idea that the less information you provide, the better off you are. This is shocking. The original premise makes a little bit of sense. Give no information, so therefore no bad information is out there. The problem with this is absolutely no one knows what's going on. With a system this large, 5 million people underground every day alone, you can't be silent anymore. Because of this radio silence, we are constantly stressed out and riddled with anxiety because we are all just trying to get to work on time, and we can't do this sometimes because we don't know exactly what is going on when there are delays. This lack of communication not only costs the city financially, but also all of us emotionally. The lack of accessibility is also on purpose. One of the reasons why they didn't want elevators was because they didn't want delivery people using it for their for de making deliveries with hand trucks and rolling carts. But what they failed to realize is no one's going to have a pallet of anything down there. They won't fit on the train. No one is going to be offloading a truck of goods because that is impossible to do. What they've done is created a system 
that is woefully ineffective to our disabled citizens, not only to our disabled citizens, but to our parents with young children and the elderly. Think of all the tourist dollars lost to due of the lack of accessibility within our subway system. Perhaps the reason why Accessoride is so inefficient is because it was considered a temporary fix. And perhaps they still view it that way, which is why service is less than optimal. However, this still doesn't answer the question, if you hate the elevators so much, why not go super basic and have ramps? They're cheaper and easier to maintain. Just put in a ramp. We'd all appreciate it. And of course, money. Where to even start with the money? This is always the issue where everyone talks about accountability in the MTA. However, as we learned today, it's not just the MTA as an organization. It's the legislature and the comptroller. We need to hold everyone, every single body, accountable for where the money goes, how it's spent, and more importantly, what it is spent on. Blake wants to be in a position to help us holding them accountable so our transit system improves and becomes something New Yorkers can not only rely on, but be proud of. Blake was trying to assist in making the system better during his time with the Kitchen Cabinet Policy Committee in the 1980s. He was trying to get the system 100% accessible by the year 2000. Ultimately, the powers that be wouldn't have that. However, Blake is now in a position to become a legislator and work on these issues such as accessibility at a state level. He knows how money is budgeted, moved, and lost. He wants to make sure this does not happen again. He wants the best for the commuter. Blake has always wanted the best for the commuter since the 1980s. Blake has the knowledge of the problems and he wants to make the system better. Blake wants to create a system that is not only functional, but also useful and efficient. In addition, more and more environmentally friendly and forward thinking, such as ideas of streetcars and electric buses. In order to grow as a city, we need to think differently in terms of public transit. I encourage any politician to talk to me. I may not agree with you politically, but we can still talk transit and the MTA. Color, creed, sexual orientation, and political affiliation doesn't matter. We're all just trying to get to work. The Democratic primary is September 13th, and the general election day is November 6th. So get out and vote. If you haven't registered to vote, register to vote. You can pick up a registration form at any municipal office. You can call one 866 vote nyc and they will send you a registration form and you can mail it back. You can also register online. Go to Board of City Elections in the City of New York and you can register there. As Bob Schieffer's mother used to say, go out and vote. It makes you feel big and strong. For those youngins who don't know Bob Schieffer, get your Google on and Google him. I used to watch him every Sunday morning on my Sunday morning nerd show, Face the Nation. Anyway, regardless of your political affiliation, go out and vote. Let your voice be heard. That's it, everyone. 
Thank you for listening, and I hope Blake and I gave you something to think about and chew on. Remember, we're all in these tin cans together, and in order for this to work, we all have to participate. Or just be supportive and be in my amen corner. Here are some spots where you can reach out to Blake and myself. Thank you to Blake Morris for participating, and thank you to Jen for setting up the meeting. To find Blake, his website, www.blakemorrisforstatesenate.com. Office phone number, 845-217-0599. Email, blakemorrisforstatesenate at gmail, and four is the number four. Campaign Headquarters mailing address, 1195 Coney Island Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 11230. Twitter, at Blake Morris 4NYS. Facebook, Blake Morris for New York State Senate District 17. Find me. Email, podcastsarah at gmail.com. And Sarah is with an H. This podcast is hosted on Anchor.com. Twitter, at ExeneZoom, that's E-X-E-N-E-Z-O-O-M, where I employ the hashtag, How's Andy's Commute, whenever I complain about the MTA, or about my commute, or your miserable commute. You're welcome. I also encourage the use of the following hashtags as well. Hashtag 40% is failing. Hashtag not acceptable. Hashtag 118 out of 472. Hashtag let us ride. Instagram, lights at the end of the tunnel. One big word. Facebook, lights at the end of the tunnel. SoundCloud, lights at the end of the tunnel. Spotify, lights at the end of the tunnel. Google Podcasts, lights at the end of the tunnel. Although this app is only available for Android users. Breaker Social Podcasts. Lights at the end of the tunnel, radiopublic.com, lights at the end of the tunnel, pocket cast, lights at the end of the tunnel. Thanks to Ox on the Roof for the intro music. Follow them on Twitter at Ox Roof Music. Also SoundCloud, Ox on the Roof. And Instagram, Ox on the Roof. So reach out and share. The only way for this to be successful is to work together. We need to shine a light so bright they can't ignore us. Shine brightly, everybody.